Well, it's a joy to be here once again, and uh, thank you for the opportunity, Pastor, that you've given me to be able to preach this morning. I know that uh, this is the, uh, the uh, last day for someone here as they're heading off to the mission field. It's an exciting time, and it's a privilege and honor to be able to preach God's Word this morning as, uh, as you prepare for that, as you prepare to send one of your own to the mission field. Um, Second Chronicles, we're going to look at this morning, we're going to jump right into the Word of God. Uh, oftentimes in life, uh, God allows uh, different situations, different things to take place, uh, good or bad. Uh, and uh, usually in those moments, um, I don't know about you guys, but we have this little thing that me and my wife do uh, where we look at each other and uh, we look for the God moments. We look for the, the undeniable uh, hand of God upon situations and places. And uh, I'm not talking about like, you know, you got that parking lot uh, right next to the front of the shopping center. Uh, uh, believe it or not, that kind of annoys me when I'm in vehicle and someone's like, oh, bless God, I got the parking spot. I'm like, I think God's at a, a bigger, there's a bigger picture here at play. And uh, what I'm talking about is when God brings you into contact with the right people at the right time. Uh, God is interested in people. Uh, he is interested when we care for people, when we love for people, are the moments that God goes, okay, that's, that's where I am. I'm in the midst of that. And uh, we've certainly experienced that in our lives on numerous occasions and uh, on numerous times, uh, good and bad, where I've had to look at, at, at my wife and gone, and that's, that's a God moment. That's undeniable what God has done in the midst of that. And uh, I want to just show you uh, something that takes place here in the Old Testament uh, and uh, sort of get a, a realization of, uh, of who God is and where He is. Uh, first of all, uh, has anyone here this morning... Uh, if you would be honest with me, has anyone ever in life, in this life, this great life that we live, uh, in this perfect world that we live in, has anyone ever been disappointed before? Have you ever been disappointed before? Okay, probably even this morning when you heard that I was preaching. Oh, great disappointment is among us. Uh, but, uh, but if you've ever lived in this life, if you've never been disappointed before, you haven't lived, right? Uh, you, haven't, uh, you haven't been at this, uh, at this race that is called life for very long. Uh, but just, uh, I mean, there are disappointments. There are things that we get disappointed in. I didn't get the right meal or I didn't get the right parking spot. Then there are deep, deep disappointments in life where we, uh, we put a lot of hope in something. Uh, we put a lot of faith in something only to be found out that, uh, that it wasn't true or that we were lied to or that there was a deceit at play. And uh, if you've ever experienced great, great disappointment, um, you'll understand sort of what I'm talking about this morning as we head into this passage. Uh, you see, there are, there are some kings in the Bible. Uh, do you guys know? Let's, let's see which kings do you know. Who are some of the, the famous kings uh, of Bible times? Famous kings, name jumps straight to your mind right now. Anyone? David, okay. Uh, what's another king we straight away just assume? Okay, there's King David, then there's the other guy that was really close to King David. Solomon, okay, great. Great, so there are these kings in the Bible. You're like, I want to name more. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll beat my Bible knowledge, so I don't want to be embarrassed uh, uh, this morning, so I'm not going to let you do that. But uh, uh, there, is, there is another king in biblical times that they say was actually was outside of David. Believe it or not, Solomon, we seem to think he's like second in line. No, it was this guy that we're going to look at. Uh, king Uzziah, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, it goes through uh, systematically through the passage. Chronicles is, is telling us about uh, the kings, the chronicles of the kings, and it's giving us their life. There is this king that was one of the most incredible kings that Israel had ever experienced. Uh, he ruled for 52 years. He entered into the kingdom, it tells us in verse 3, at the age of 16. 16. 
That is ridiculously young for someone to step into the kingdom. But at the age of 16, he stepped into the kingdom. And in verses 24, it tells us that he did right. He was a righteous king. He did right. And it tells us that in verses 5, that as long as he sought after the Lord, and this is a whole entire different message you could preach on, God made him prosper. So, so, so because he was seeking after God, and not only was uh, the kingdom prospering, not only was his prospering, but, but that blessing would have fed right down to everybody. When you have leadership that is honoring God, when you have good leadership, the country prospers. Everyone benefits from that. Uh, and, uh, and so he was, he, was, he was incredible at what he did in verses 15. It tells us that, uh, that uh, he made these incredible war machines. Uh, he was famous. Uh, he actually invented, I don't know what he invented, but he invented stuff. And so he was very ingenious in what he did. And, uh, and what happened is, and this can happen in life, uh, that uh, the fame started to spread abroad. Uh, people started to, to marvel at, at what he did. And it says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. That's a whole nother message again. When we prosper, when God prospers us, there is a danger uh, that we are lifted up with pride and we trust in our securities and our uncertain riches. And he transgressed against the Lord. He went into the temple. He burned incest. He, he did something that he shouldn't have that was reserved for the priest. And he burnt incest. And uh, because of that, when the priest uh, approached him about it and told him that you shouldn't have done that, it says that he, 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 wished, he withstood them, and uh, they withstood Isaiah the king, and he said unto them, It pertaineth not unto thee, Isaiah, to burn incest unto the Lord, but the priests and the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incest. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Isaiah was wrath. He was wroth uh, because he, he had established the kingdom. It was, it was because of him that fame was spread abroad. It was because of him that all these things had happened. It was because of him that, that things had changed. He'd gotten it wrong. It wasn't about him. It was about God. As long as he, as long as he sought after the Lord, God made him to prosper. And so as we head into what I want to look at uh, this morning with us in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, turn with me there. So this is what's taking place. Uh, before you head into Isaiah chapter 6, um, and Isaiah is going to tell us what's taking, Isaiah is going to kind of give us a testimony of something that took place in his life that changed him, uh, something that launched him into, into the ministry, into the work that he was doing for the Lord. Um, you, you, you have this taking place. So, so with, think with me for a few seconds. Isaiah has, has grown up in a kingdom of peace. He's, he's grown up in a, in a kingdom of prosperity. He has grown up in this time where everything is great, everything is incredible, and uh, and 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 he had he had sort of probably put a lot of stock and a lot of weight on this king. He had probably put a lot of faith and a lot of trust on this king who was leading the nation, this great king, this incredible king. And at the end of this king's life, it tells us that he 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 did this thing that he shouldn't have done, and he got leprosy. Now, biblically, leprosy is always a representation of sin, but he actually like got leprosy, and he had leprosy, and leprosy is a shame. It's an embarrassment, and uh, now they kind of hit him. They sort of didn't really talk about their king much. They didn't really, uh, you know, they didn't really sort of draw attention to that, and he ends off, he, he ends up dying. It's a great embarrassment. Have you ever 
putting a lot of stock in someone and thought, this guy's my hero, this guy's incredible, he can do no wrong, only to find out that, that he had failures and he had faults, and then uh, he does something that's extremely embarrassing, and, and now you really don't want to talk about that guy at all. And uh, because you put a lot of stock, you put a lot of faith in that, and I, I, I put to you this morning that this is possibly what was happening in Isaiah's life. That as this king dies, Isaiah finds himself in this place of just great discouragement. Thinking, how could have this happened? How could have our leader done this? How could, have, how, how could I hope to amount to anything if our great king, if, if this is what took place in his life? And we need to realize that loss is a part of life. Loss is a part of life. It, it happens. It takes place. And if we're not careful, when loss comes into our life, whether it be a person, whether it be someone who we've held in high regard, whether it be a financial situation or a work that we, we, we put our trust in, realize that, that, uh, that when loss takes place, it's usually because God is trying to get our attention. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne. If we're not careful in the moments where, where life seems to just hit us with everything, we can be very consumed in the moment. And we can lose the thing that God is trying to do through that. We can lose the very thing that, that God is trying to teach us in that moment. God is trying to draw our attention to something. And if we're not careful, we can be consumed by our loss that we lose our God moment. You know the verse that says, Be still and know that I'm God. You've seen that up on a, on a, on a, on a poster somewhere. And uh, when we read that verse, we think, be still and know that I am God. Like, like go up into a mountain somewhere. That's actually not relaxing, not for me anyway, so don't do that with me. Uh, go up into a mountain somewhere and just sort of sit there and, and look over the mountaintops and see the birds flying and be still and know that he is God. That's what we think when we read that verse. That's actually, that's actually what people actually do. Try and go somewhere quiet and just, just be still and hmm, trying to get a new revelation of God. It's kind of eerie fairy when you think about it. Um, it's not really... If you have a look, uh, the verse is found in Psalms chapter 46, verses 10. You know what, it's actually, what it actually is talking about as you read that passage? War, destruction, disappointment, fear. The writer is writing and saying, there's all these things coming around and there's everything happening. And that's in the moment that he makes this statement. In that moment, be still and know that I am God. God is not saying in the moment of everything's fine and everything's great, be still, go somewhere quiet, stop what you're doing, get out of Sydney traffic, go to a mountain somewhere, be still, know that I'm God. No, God's saying in the middle of traffic when people are honking their horns and you're thinking, I can't take this anymore, God says, be still, know that I am God. I have not changed. I am sitting on my throne. I am exactly where I need to be. And you need to stop. You need to be still and hear God's voice in the midst of that. It would be a sad thing to enter into the kingdom of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ did for us, but enter the kingdom of God and to realize as we, as we meet with God and say, why did you allow all these things to happen? And God says, I was trying to get your attention. But every time I did it, you ran further away from me. 
Every time I allowed something to happen, I tried to get your attention because you were looking at the wrong things. You didn't want to look up. Let me encourage you that don't put your stock in people. That's, that's the first thing. First thing. Don't assume that everything will always be good with leadership. Don't assume that Australia will always be Australia, that we will always have the freedoms that we will have. Don't just assume that that's how it should happen. I think it's funny, and, and we talk about this, uh, we talk about uh, uh, children that grow, grow up in homes that are very wealthy, and uh, we use this word, and I, I think the word has escaped my mind right now, but we say they, they, uh, they uh, what's the word? Someone help me out. Privileged, Right? That kid is privileged. What does that mean? I don't know. That means that kid thinks that he should get the things that he has. Can I tell you as Christians, we've become privileged in thinking that nations should do things according to the Bible. We have become privileged in thinking that the values that our country holds are things that should happen. And when it's changed, we go, oh, what? When I read my Bible, the people in this Bible were getting killed. It was against the law to be a Christian. But we put our stock in these things. We put our faith in these things. We put our hope in these things. And sometimes God will allow loss to happen in our lives. He will allow things to die in our lives, whether it be dreams or things that we put stock in. He will allow those things to be taken away. For what reason? So that we might remember who God is, who God is. So we have a look. It says that, uh, that, he, that in this moment that the country is mourning, in the moment that this hero has passed away and fallen into sin, that he sees the Lord seated, sitting upon the throne. I want to encourage you this morning, remember who God is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening in your life. But we need to remember in the good times and the bad times, more so in the good times, who God is and where He is. I want to do something about this. It will help you with uh, perspective. Uh, let's do this with me. Everyone, everyone do this with me if you can entertain me this morning a little bit. Uh, close one eye and put your thumb up, okay? I'll stand in the right spot here. Put your thumb up and block me with your thumb. So if you can do that, you can do that, okay? You're blocking me out completely right now. Unless, of course, you're sitting really close. Okay, and you put your hands down. Um, I have not gotten as short as your thumb. You realize that, right? I used to, I used to, grew, I grew up in church, so I used to like sit in the back and I'd giggle at myself. I'm like, look how short that guy is. You know, I used to play these little games in my mind. And then I imagine like coming up to the stage and I'm massive and he's this little tiny dude. Uh, or maybe it was just me falling asleep. I don't know what was happening there. But, uh, but what you just did is you, you just, I'm not the size of your thumb. You realize that, right? But what's happened is, is the distance that you are from me has meant that, that in your sight, I am very small. Robbie, why don't you walk up here? You're going to help because you're like right at the back, right at the back. Birthday boy, come on. Okay, block me out with your thumb like you did before, okay, because like you're really blocking me out. Okay, now, now come close, come close. This is what you get for sitting on the back row, okay? Life lessons, sit on the front row. I do this in my church in Vanuatu. I always use the people on the back row, not the front row. Okay, keep coming. Keep coming. Don't fall over, okay? Keep blocking me out. Keep blocking me out. Keep blocking me out. I'm glad this is, church isn't like massive, but we'd be here for a few minutes. Okay, keep coming. Keep coming. Okay, walk a bit faster. Come on. You're dragging it on now. Okay, okay. All the way up, all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. Okay. Am I the size of your thumb? I'm actually almost taller than you. I'm kind of happy about this. <laughs> I love coming to this church. Okay, okay. 
So I, I'm not the size of your mom. What has happened? Your, your, your perspective has changed. I, I, you have gotten closer. And as you have gotten closer, you have realized, I, I'm not as small as I was when you were sitting back there. Right, you can head back there. Back to the back row where I'm really tiny. We have to be careful in this life that, that we make God a lot smaller than he actually is. We, we shrink God down to just this small, not too significant thing that I sort of attach onto my life. The closer you get to God, the more you realize how incredible he is. The more you realize how much bigger he is than, than everything. And oftentimes in life, the reason that God is so small to us is because we're at such a distance from him. We are so far from God that God's just a very small, insignificant, very small part of our life. Remember who God is. God is, it tells us that he is seated on his throne. The king has just died. And now Isaiah sees the king of kings seated on his throne. God is reminding Isaiah, I've got this. That guy down there was a very poor representation of who I am. A very poor representation. He was a king, but I am the king of kings. Then he turns around and he says that he sees him high and lifted up. I, I have these funny conversations with my children sometimes. And we're sitting around the table and, and uh, my daughters were like, Hey, Dad, why do we close our eyes and bow our heads when we pray? And I'm like, oh, because it's in the um, verse there, that uh, one that we, um, we that, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why we close our eyes and, and bow our heads because uh, there's pots in there that, uh, I don't know, the Catholics ran the world. They messed everything up, okay? So we just, we just follow it, so, you know. But you know what? We were talking about it, and, uh, and I was like, well, actually, Jesus looked up into the sky, and, and they're like, huh, could we do that around the table? And I'm like, okay, let's try something new. Let's all look up into the sky. And I think it looked like Jesus had his hands raised, and he talked to his father. And so we're like giggling and laughing, because now we're noticing what's happening on the roof. We're like, ah, we're sort of laughing and sort of talking through that. And then uh, one of my daughters who thinks through things, uh, Nicole, she's my little thinker, she goes, actually, Dad, if we close our eyes and look down, we're still looking up at God because the world's round. And uh, I'm like, okay, you got me. I'm like, you win. <laughs> you will be the preacher, you know. <laughs> Let me get some sermon notes from you. Um, but here's the thing. High and lifted up is not talking about the location that God finds himself in. It's talking about God's position. It's talking about who God is in our lives. He is high and lifted up. It's given that, that concept that he is so much higher than who we are. It's talking about his position. And so we see here, we're reminded, okay, God is seated on his throne, no matter what I'm going through. God is high and lifted up. It talks about, uh, uh, it says, in his train filled the temple. Okay, heroes do wear capes. Uh, that is a thing in the Bible. It fills the whole entire temple. The train's talking about honor and glory, and all of these things. And then it goes into a strange thing that takes place here. And above it stood the seraphims, um, which actually means like flaming ones. Each one had six wings, with twain covered his face, with twain covered his feet, with twain did he fly. And they cried one to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I seem to... Remember somewhere in Revelation where it talks about these guys again. 
It says, And the four beasts in Revelation chapter 4, verses 8, had each of them six wings about him. And they were filled of eyes within, and they rested not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is to come. The playlist of heaven is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it replays, and it replays, and it replays, and it replays. Because God is worthy of our praise. God is holy. You cannot say, I love God enough. You cannot say God is holy to a point where it's going to be too much. And these creations of God, they've chosen for etern- from the moment that they were created to eternity coming. And we will actually get to be in heaven and we'll see this ourselves personally. They have decided we are going to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then something takes place. As they're crying holy, the posts of the door move at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. We have earthquakes in Vanuatu. We've experienced this before. It's a little bit scary when you're in the middle of the church and all of a sudden, the building shakes and you're like, yes, listen to my words. That was the power of God. <laughs> and people are wanting to jump through the windows and that. Uh, but have you ever sat beside a, a car that drives past and the whole building shakes? <laughs> These angels are singing with such great power that the whole building is shaking. And then smoke. There's a weird thing about smoke. On the islands and people go on campfires, you've done this before, and you sit there and you just get entranced. You're like, it's kind of like it sort of moves wherever it wants. It does whatever it wants. And this smoke fills the room. Something's going on. Something's happening. Do you realize who God is. I remember once I got the opportunity to stand on the side of a volcano. If you've never done it before, I've, I've been to Niagara Falls. After the volcano, I saw Niagara Falls and went, hmm, it's a bunch of water falling over the side of rocks. Interesting. I stood beside the volcano and went, I should not be here. I'm going to die. This is ridiculous. Why are we standing here? Boom! Shockwave hits your body. You can literally feel it go through your body. You can actually see the clouds move as it takes place. The whole thing starts shaking. Flames go rushing up into the air. You get that warm feeling. If you've been to like monster trucks or something, they shoot some flames. You get the heat wave. You get the heat wave. And the thing goes flying up into the air. And then you're standing there and you're like, oh, blown away by it. And all of a sudden, all these rocks come flying back down as the lava sort of becomes hard and solid. And, and you stand there and think, I should not be standing here right now. And you realize how insignificant and small human beings are. You're like, wow, like, like this, is a vol- this is the earth, like literally breathing. You can hear it <laughs> makes all these crazy noises. I remember I was standing on the side of the volcano once and there was a tourist who, if you think about it, paid his ticket to Australia, then paid his ticket to get to that island, then paid for a resort, then paid his, I don't know what it was. We were living in a village, so it was free for us to walk up there, but it was like $75 a person to get up there and $155 to pay the truck that got there. He finally stands on the side of the volcano uh, with whether it was his newlywed wife or girlfriend, I don't know, but he's standing there. And it went, oh, I knew it was an Aussie because when it went, he went, bleep, 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 bleep. And then he went, I didn't pay all this money to die. And he grabbed his, his girlfriend's hand and walked straight back down to the car and told his tour guide, let's get out of here. That's how scary it was. And he was a big dude. And that's just the volcano. 
that's just the creation of God. You know, the Bible tells us that the whole earth is full of His glory. It tells us that, that everything that God created, and I think it's funny sometimes when we, we see something and we say, oh, that's bad, that's evil. Well, God actually created everything that's around us. It was perfect. It was good. And God said, everything I've created, it's, it's going to be to show you my glory, who I am, what I'm like, how incredible I am. You could stand on the side of the volcano. Ah, it's evil. That's demonic. It's coming out. No, no. God's saying, hey, that, that I'm, I'm powerful like that. I should, I should bring awe and wonder at my name. I remember once we're hiking for eight days and I got to a beach on the other side of the island. I was wrecked. I was so tired. Um, it was, you know, we'd run out of food and things. And as I was sitting on the beach, this, this strange thought come to me. And that was that God knows the number of grains of sand on this beach. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a lot of sand. Actually, that's all the sand on earth. Actually, then I started thinking through and I was thinking, you know what? Uh, God knows the hairs on your head. I'm like, what in the world? like the hairs on like every single person's head on planet Earth. Uh, God knows uh, the names of every star. And the, uh, the, the scientists are finding now that stars are like ever-expanding universe and it's like you'll never be able to count it. God tells us in Psalms that he calls the stars by name. But yet he cares for a sparrow that falls in the forest. I met a vegan guy once. He was trying to convince me to go vegan. I didn't even know what it was. I couldn't understand it. Um, especially when he's giving me like this, you can buy this stuff at Woolworths. I'm like, but Woolworths sells meat. What, what in the world? I don't understand. <laughs> you're not helping anything. Like you're still going to the same company that's killing the cows. Uh, but we had this, we, sorry, sorry. If anyone's vegan, I, I'm sorry. I'm apologize. I apologize. But that's, I, I come from a country where you have to, you know, to survive, you have to eat. So we we're having this discussion. We were having this discussion, and I thought, he said, what does this screen make you feel? They were holding screens. It was in the middle of Sydney. It was strange, but there was animals being killed. He said, what does this make you feel like? I said, I said honestly? I said, when I look at that, I think that should never happen. He thought he had a convert. He's like, oh, I've got a convert. I said, when I see that, I think that should never happen. He said, what do you think? I said, death should never happen. And everything, every time something dies... God actually feels that and says, this is not how I created this world to be. And actually, when I look at that, the only solution for a God who loves us, for a God who created this world perfect, the only solution was for his son to die on the cross to help heal and repair this sick world that we live in. Oftentimes, when you meet someone, they make this statement, why doesn't God do something? You heard that statement being made? You've probably made that statement before. He did. He did. His son died on a cross. Death of his son was the solution to everything that you see around this world. God is high and lifted up. And if there's anything that these angelic beings can teach us, and that is that you'll never be disappointed looking at God. From the time that they were created, for eternity, they look at God in awe and wonder and say, this is incredible. This is who He is. I hope you realize who God is. 
that he is seated on his throne. He is not concerned. He is, he, 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 the world is not shaking up in heaven when things happen here. God knows. God is in control. Then something happens to Isaiah. I believe a shift in perspective changes everything. When we recognize who we are before God. Look at what he says. He says, then I said in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. A shift in Isaiah's perspective, and he probably thought he was pretty good. He probably was already preaching against people. He probably was looking at the king and saying, king shouldn't have done that. That was evil. That was wicked. Can't believe the king did that. He's let us down. And he was looking at everything from, from where he stood with the world. But as he stands before God, something happens. There's a shift in his perspective, and he realizes, oh, I should not be here. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. You know, when you get an honest look at God, you stop looking around at people around you and judging them and you start going, oh, he died for me. It was my sin that hung him on the cross. It was my shame that he bore. And it changes you. It changed Isaiah as he actually realized, I am unclean. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way and the Lord hath put on him the iniquity of us all. Do you realize that the only thing that we deserve as human beings is death and eternal separation from God? The very nature of who God is, is grace and love, and it's shown the fact that we're still here. We're still alive. We're still allowed to run countries and run nations. We're still allowed to, to, to live in this world and not even uh, take notice of Him or acknowledge Him. And the reality is that oftentimes in this world, we are so broken that we can't see it. Isaiah was living in a world where he was so broken that he didn't realize who he was before God. He says, woe is me, I'm unclean and it's because I'm living with unclean people. His guys, I see in the Lord, the King of hosts. And then look what happens. Then one of the seraphims, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. This angelic being that is, seems, when you look and study the, the word of, of the seraphims, that they're, they're a flaming being. He goes to the fire that's, that's at these coals that are at the feet of God and, uh, and picks it up with a tongue. God's holiness is so holy that the flaming being can't touch flames. I don't understand that. But he gets this pair of tongs to actually touch that and he flies. And here's the thing that I, I pull from this without looking too deeply into it. Receiving is all Isaiah did. Isaiah didn't do nothing to be cleansed of God. He touches his lips and he is cleansed. And he says, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, in verse 7, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. All Isaiah did was acknowledge who he was before God. That was it. And in all reality, in all, in all honesty, salvation is an acknowledgement of who we are before God. 
when we finally put our pride aside and realize, I am a sinner. When we realize, I am a man of unclean lips. When we realize, I should never be brought into the presence of who God is. I shouldn't even be noticed. I am not deserving of God's love. And in that moment, the angel's already coming towards him. When you think about the story of the prodigal son, as the son returns home, it's the dad who runs to the son. God is full of grace and love. And at that very moment that we realize, oh, God's already coming towards us. He's already coming towards Isaiah. And all Isaiah did was receive. He didn't do anything. He didn't, he didn't have to do anything or perform anything. All he had to do was go, oh, I should not be here. I'm done. And the angel came towards him. And that happens at salvation as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't do anything. We just receive. Acts chapter 16 verses 30 just says, Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Salvation is really simple. The hardest part about salvation is our pride. And going, mm, no, I think I'm pretty good. No, I don't, yeah, that guy needs God. Oh, man, that guy needs God. Hey, pastor, did you see that guy that just walked in? Woo! Better preach on salvation today. No, no, I need God. Time and time again. And I need a, 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 a new, fresh view of who God is. And then look at what God does. You guys are about to send out a missionary. This is incredible what God does. He says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I believe that the for us here is not talking about us, God, angels, but us, the Trinity. God looks around and, and Isaiah has just been put right before God, made holy before God, not because of what he did, but because of what God did. And now God goes, who can I send on my behalf? I mean, he's the only guy standing there. You know what I love about it? God's calling, it demands a response. God's calling demands a response. Don't ever think that, well, oh, it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. No, God, God could have said, okay, Isaiah, look at what I've just done for you. You will be my messenger. You will go to the nations of Israel. No, God says, who can go? And now Isaiah, who just said, I should not be here. I cannot do this. I am a man of unclean lips. Turns around and, 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 and coins this word that we sing in songs and that we talk about. He says, then said I, here am I. Send me. A change took place. Something happened in Isaiah's life where he realized, oh, I shouldn't be here. And then in the very next statement, he says, I'm here. Send me. Because Isaiah realized who he was before God. God gives the calling. And here's the thing. The calling demands a response. I honestly believe, I honestly believe, and I will not know until I enter into eternity and, and I can have these conversations, but I honestly believe in my life that I wasn't God's first choice for where I am in Vanuatu. I honestly believe that God was calling, God was calling, God was calling, God was calling, and God will continue to call, and God will continue to call. But the calling of God demands someone to respond. It demands a response. And God is calling and saying, who, who can I send? Who will go? And Isaiah says, well, I'm here. 
I could go. Maybe. <laughs> who will send? Who will go? You know, we talk about reaching the world. We talk about reaching the nations. You guys are talking about reaching Sri Lanka. It could be very easy for us to say, great, we got someone going. I can stay. I don't have to feel guilty now because someone's going. You, it's very easy to look at the missionary and say, you will be the scapegoat for us. You go and you represent us so that we can remain here. But do you realize that when we send someone, and I've had these conversations with people, um, and I don't say this to be proudful. I just say this as a matter of fact. There was an old lady that I had the opportunity to, to witness to in the middle of the jungle. She'd never seen a car. I was the second white person she'd ever seen. I asked her where she saw another white person. She said during independence 30 years ago, a helicopter landed in their village with the, the, vote, the voting ballots. And they said they'd get given rice if they ticked the box. So they, gave, they ticked the box and they got rice. Uh, and she said he had a helmet on and that. In the middle of the jungle, it took us like three days to get to where she lived. I had an opportunity to present the gospel to her. She had tears running down her eyes. I was talking through a translation. She didn't understand what I was speaking, Bishlama, the language. And she got saved. She was like 80-something. She's with God right now, with her Savior. Two years later, she passed away. I thought, what an incredible opportunity, what an incredible privilege to reach, to reach that person. And when I tell the story, people say, it's incredible what you are doing, Brother Jeremy. It's amazing what you are doing. I'm not doing anything, first of all. It's what God's doing. But, but secondly, when I reach, you reach. Do you understand that? When I reach, you reach. You're praying for me. You're supporting me. We are part of a team. When Soren lands in Sri Lanka and he starts reaching people, you're reaching those people as well. Do you understand that as God places people in front of us, as God places people in our lives, we reach those people, those people in turn reach people, those people in turn reach people. And all God's ever asking us to do, God's not asking us to reach people we've never heard of and we don't know. God's asking us to reach the people that he's put in our lives. Isaiah was not being asked to go to some, Isaiah was being asked to reach the very place he was in. God will ask us to reach the people that he's placed in our lives. Are you reaching? I'm not asking you to reach Sri Lanka. I'm asking you to reach the people that God places around your lives. And that's how we end up reaching Sri Lanka. That's how we end up reaching other countries. I just want to close with, with, the, with this sort of imagery or show you an illustration as we close um, this morning. You guys are about to send a missionary. That is incredible. I'm, I'm honored that I can be here today. I'm honored that there's another missionary coming up through the ranks. This is a moment to celebrate. This is a moment of joy. But I hope that you realize he's not your scapegoat. He's not the guy that you send and you say, "Woo, we're doing good here. How many missionaries is your church sent? Huh? No, that's not what this is about. God is asking you to continue to reach where you are in the place that he's placed you. At salvation, God turns around and says, now who can I send? I'm here. I don't know much, but, but I know what you've done for me. I've, I've seen who you are, how incredible you are. I just want to get um, Soren up here. I didn't talk to him about this. So I'm just going to ask him to just come up and just stand, stand beside Pastor here. Pastor, you stand up and uh, you reach out to him. 
So you put your arm on him, okay? This is a man that, that God has placed in this church and now you have reached out to him and through different people have played different parts in your life. And then, and then I hope that as a church you realize that, that you are reaching Sri Lanka. Oh, no, you just say that. No, you are. Through the people that you're reaching here in Sydney. I want to get everyone to stand up. You're going to, you're going to participate in this with me. Tossel, if you can reach out to Pastor and touch his shoulder. This is good that the church is full because it doesn't work when the church is empty. It's, it's a really poor illustration at that stage. Go, go and stand up closer to people so someone can reach you. Then Let's do this. From the back, you guys put your arm out, touch someone's shoulder. There's no cookies or anything like that, okay? Just reach, 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 all the way out to the front. Just keep reaching. And then you guys, you guys get back close to back there so someone can actually reach you guys. Otherwise, you're on your own out here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, come, come back this way. Come back this way. Okay. We're not very good. There we go. There we go. There. Stop there. Stop there. Now you reach him and then so on and forth, so forth. Okay, you got it. Pastors, the worst people to follow instructions. <laughs> Those of you at the front, just reach out. Just, just reach out to no one. There you go. You guys just reach out. Reach out to no one. You're, you're reaching somewhere. You're reaching someone. Do you realize right now as a church, you're reaching Sri Lanka? As a church, together. But God's placed you here in this church to reach the people within this church, to encourage each other, to build up each other. And because of that, someone will reach other countries. Someone will reach people you've never met before. Do you realize in God's plan, all he's ever calling us to do is to reach the people around us. But God's calling demands a response. First of all, have you ever responded to God's calling for salvation? Have you, like Isaiah, realized... I should not be standing here. I should not be brought into the presence of God. I am a man of unclean lips. I, I am a sinner. And you come to a realization where all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm not the right guy. And God says, that's exactly the right guy. I'm coming for you. Salvation is coming for you. I, I'm coming to, 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 to make my dwelling place in your heart. And then after that great, incredible experience, I hope that we realize, first of all, who God is. Have you had disappointments? Have you had discouragements? Have you had dreams taken away? I put to you that, that God allows those things to take place so you can get a greater understanding of who God is. God will do that time and time again to make you realize, stop looking at men. Stop looking at this world. Look at me. I am seated on the throne. I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. I am your Savior. Not this country. Not these people. I hope that this morning we can just get a new realization of who God is. You put your hands down. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask Brother EJ to come and, and close our time. I just want to challenge you today. First of all, have you ever come to a realization of who you are before God? I believe that one of the biggest reasons that will prevent people from entering into the kingdom is the same sin that, that split heaven, as it were, as Satan, the angels, pride, I don't need God, I'm strong enough, I'm good, I'm right. Put that aside this morning and just realize that, you know what, I need God. I, I, I need saving. I am a sinner before God. Woe is me to even like assume that God is not doing things and he's not, where is God, what's he doing? 
No, to realize, okay, I'm nothing. In the grand scheme of this world, I'm just a speck. And God, in his grace, died for me on a cross. Secondly, has your view of God? Where's your view of God at? Is God just very small and something that you can just block out temporarily and move on with your life? Or is God something incredible that is all-consuming and everything in your life? And lastly, who are you reaching out to? God is calling you. Where he's placed you, he's saying, I've placed you there. I've put you in that position. Now reach. Now reach to the people around you. Now reach to the place that you're at. Because in that reaching, you will reach far beyond your wildest imaginations. Let's just close a word of prayer and just ponder upon God's word through Isaiah this morning. Heavenly Father, dear Lord, time and time again, we have been guilty, dear Lord, of looking at, at man, of putting our faith, putting our hope, putting our trust and dreams on, on leaders and on the system of this world, dear Lord. And just like the children of Israel, dear Lord, time and time again, you take things away from us. You allow hardship to take place so that you can get a hold of our attention. Dear Lord, I pray that this morning the message of Isaiah alone will be enough to make us look to you, God. The realization of who you are, that you are seated on your throne, that there are angelic beings who, from the time they were created, dear Lord, just worship you and worship you. And yet, you love us, who don't even think about you, who don't even consider you, dear Lord, who constantly replace the King of Kings with other kings. Dear Lord, I pray that we might find ourselves in a place where we just call out to you once again, where we just realize your incredible power, your incredible grace and love upon us. And dear Lord, I pray that maybe even this morning, you are placing on our hearts a calling. Dear Lord, you are placing on our hearts as we see someone being sent out, as we see someone going to a far, far country, dear Lord, that we could never even imagine. Dear Lord, you're calling. I pray that this morning we might respond. We might say, God, here am I in the midst of Sydney. Here am I in this workplace. Here am I in this education center. Here am I in this place, dear Lord, that you have placed me. Here am I, dear Lord, send me. Use me amongst the people that I am surrounded by, dear Lord. Dear Lord, I pray that this morning we might lay our pride aside, dear Lord, and we might just realize the incredible, the incredible opportunity that you have bestowed upon us, dear Lord, and that is to take the greatest message that this world could ever know, dear Lord, message of love and forgiveness and of restoration that we look forward to in your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church.